This week, Stasis Leak, Series 2, Episode 10, originally aired September 27th, 1988. I hate to cause an alarm, but in three million years, everyone listening to this will be dead. listening to Searching for Fushal, part of the Oi Space Fan podcast fam, in which a polyamorous husband and wife do a deep dive on the sci-fi comedy series Red Dwarf from an intersectional feminist perspective. This podcast is definitely not safe for work. Find us at oispaceman.com. That's your joke? <laughs> well, it was the series joke. I know. You should just you should just start saying what Holly says for every given episode. That would uh, just steal steal I mean, jokes. Just steal Holly's uh, the the bit about uh, uh, what's her name's bum. Uh, Actually, yeah, this, bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's probably like, not that's the perfect. yeah. No, <laughs> probably not the best way to begin a uh, you know intersectional no. feminist red dwarf podcast. <laughs> talking about. Um, a, uh, I don't. British I do I was gonna say there. Holly gives what is possibly a description of Lister's dick in this episode. So like you could read that. The in the pocket scene with the gooseberries or whatever he says. He says something about licorice and lint. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that that yeah. could be that could be that could be a dick joke. That would be uh, that's that's a reading <laughs> I never considered. Um, but yeah, so so welcome. Neither did I. Great Charles's packet is apparently huge, so there was yeah, it was a bit of a comment. Yeah, it's described as something bigger. Did I did I? Yeah, we missed the fact that Craig Charles apparently has a giant cock. Yeah, he um, you know, in the very first episode when he's pouring milk out for uh, Frankenstein, right? Originally they had to do that a couple of takes of that. Partly because the cat kept running away, and also because his uh, penis just flopped out of uh, (laughs) his underpants. And apparently it was quite considerably... Uh, it was big enough for them to all comment on it in the, uh, so, so in the apparently, commentary. Apparently Lister may not have a double Polaroid, but Craig Charles does. Is that what we're Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, he's got that statue in Time Slides. I guess that's probably accurate. I can't remember actually how big it is on that. Anyway, this is anyway. a stupid conversation. <laughs> is, uh... I am loving it. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> talk... Classic spaceman searching for Fushal fun. Well, it kind of counterbalances talking about Felicity Kendall's bum to immediately start talking about Craig Charles's dick. It's like, you know, hey, it I makes up for it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so welcome. We're now four minutes into this episode, and it is episode 10. This is Searching for Fushal, where we talk about Red Dwarf. I am Daniel. You've heard Shayna. That's my wife. I'm my regular co-host. And today we are joined by someone who I am told has never appeared on a podcast before. So this is an insane no. day. Uh, we are joined by a regular Facebook commenter of ours, and uh, I guess a, a fan of some kind, um, Dom Kelly. Hey. <laughs> I... A fan? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I sort of uh, vaguely know Jack Graham back from the Gallifrey base kind of days, and then I started reading Phil's thing, so it's sort of, 
but I'm not. I've never been like part of the group or anything, or like I haven't really. I don't think I've even actually talked to Jack properly. So yeah, I just just Facebook friends basically. Sure. Well, I mean that that's that's more. I mean, you know, really that that makes you. I mean, I was just excited when you started commenting on the Red Dwarf stuff because um, <laughs> I mean, kind of the way this happened was when we first uh, when we first started putting out Red Dwarf episodes um, of the Oi Space Fan family, a search for Vishal, uh Dom started leaving these very long, intricate comments on basically every episode for a while, and uh, I just said, "Well, we got to get you on the show." Like that's just. That just has to happen, and uh, he agreed. So that's how this happened. Uh, yeah, I was excited. Uh, two reasons, I guess. Partly because, like, you guys do a lot of podcasts that I don't actually. <laughs> I'm not familiar enough with the source material to uh, <laughs> to like listen. So I just kind of, when you did dwarf, I was like, oh, cool, I can actually like uh, have opinions on this one. <laughs> um, uh, and the other thing is that, like, I've actually. Unlike Doctor Who, which does seem to have like a pretty big leftist fan base and there's a lot of like good commentary out there, there isn't really any for Dwarf I've looked before and it's all kind of bad, you know? And so yeah. I was excited to have this kind of be a thing because it was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad someone is finally <laughs> doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was part of the genesis of the project for me, at least, was, you know, because there is this like giant literature about Red Dwarf. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. There is this giant literature around Red Dwarf or around uh, Doctor Who. But there's really not yeah. a lot of conversation about Red Dwarf, except for kind of fan websites that, you know, detail all the jokes and that sort of thing, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. But but I, I found that very few people have really taken any kind of critical look at it at all. Um, yeah. For something that's such a huge part of my kind of, you know, adolescence and something that seems very important to, you know, it, it seems like whenever I mention it to someone who has seen it, there's this instant bond that forms. And so mm. uh, that was kind of one of the, you know, because uh, people will make like a smeghead reference or something online and uh, I will, uh, you know, uh, get it and, uh, you know, kind of respond in kind with another Red Dwarf reference. And once yeah. you get that like secret handshake, you're friends for life. That's just the way it works. <laughs> Boys from the Dwarf. Um, yeah, especially with Kachansky, though. Like, I, I've never really... I know you guys will get more into it as it goes on, but I've never really found anyone who talks about Kachansky in a sort of gender politics light. It's usually just, oh, Kachansky came along and she sucked because she's a woman, I guess. It's like, yeah. it's, it's really a shame. There's there's not... Well, I guess you guys will fill that void, but yeah. Oh, don't worry, Don. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, when, I'm, when, I'm looking forward to it. When, when the No Doubt Lovely Chloe Annett shows up, uh, we will have opinions, I can assure you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, most people online seem to blame her. I find that really weird and uncomfortable. Like, it's just, it's just not who you should be blaming for the problems with that Kajansky <laughs> right. at all. Right. Anyway. Yeah, no. Uh, well, we'll we'll definitely uh, get to that a little bit later because we have another Kachansky to talk about. Today. Yes. Um, we, will, uh, we will be talking about um, Claire Grogan. Uh, here, I think, shortly. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to start, Dom. Um, thank you. Uh, sorry, we're kind of playing this a little bit loose because we really haven't even talked before. So I, yeah. <laughs> we kind of need a little bit of a extra a breathing space. So my apologies to, to everyone involved here for having to listen to us just rampantly bullshit for a while. But um, I, I just apologies to everyone for listening to me in general, honestly. So. Yeah. <laughs> Shana doesn't let me get away with this. She's certainly not going to let the guests get away with it. Um, so, Dom, uh, you are, uh, my understanding, from Australia. Um, yes. Living living there now, from what I, at least from the uh, time zone difference, uh, that seems uh, accurate. Um, tell us a little bit about your kind of history of a dwarf, um, if there is a story there at all to tell. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I'm 
I was born in 1988, so I actually <laughs> I'm uh, young, and I didn't catch Dwarf as it went out until Back to Earth. I guess that's actually the first one that I saw as it went out. Um, so I think when I was about in year six or seven at school, um, my dad had like VHSs, mm-hmm. if you remember them. Uh, um, I do. VHS, yeah, yeah. He had VHSs of the the first half of season seven and the latter half of season eight. And now I know those seasons are not popular, but those are the first ones I watched, and um, they Honestly, got they got I me think into it. Might it. Be, it might be a bit easier to start with the bad ones and then go back to the better ones. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Well, I mean, there's like there's problems with those seasons, but I guess there's enough of the backbone of what makes the show good that I still kind of connected with it. Mm. Um, no, I get that. And then, like, they released the DVDs, and I went through it season by season at that point. So, yeah. So yeah. I might be the only person you'll ever have who will defend some of Series 7 and 8. That's actually, that's actually not the case. I think, I mean, I've been oh, really? kind of behind the scenes, we've been talking to people. And, uh, I mean, I know uh, it, 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 there, there, it has its fans, you know, the, the, the later years. And, and I'm not going to, uh, I mean, some of the worst material in the series is in those years. But um, yeah, there are still episodes definitely. that I think I would definitely still defend um, mm. to, to, to a large degree, at least, at least in terms of conception, if not in execution. Yeah. In some cases. Um, so, so, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. Um, because right yeah. now we're still in uh, series two. So, um, oh, again, we talk about series two. Oh, sorry, I thought we were talking about series eight today. Yeah. yeah well, I haven't prepared for series eight. Yet. Uh, we can, <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's a stasis leak. We're just jumping ahead, though. Yeah. No, we're the the future episode that we're going to record is bleeding back into this one. Yeah, exactly. Really, when we get there, I just need, we need to bring you back on, and I'll um, record a bit. <laughs> I'll just talk about Stasis Sleek during that one. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> all right. So um, we were supposed to bring you on for Better Than Life, um, except I just completely dropped the ball and missed <laughs> that uh, recording, and we didn't do that. Um, but then you picked Stasis Sleek as kind of the, the, the uh, consolation prize. Um, and so I guess, uh, I mean, a good place to start. Uh, why this one? You know, kind of general thoughts about Stasis Sleek? Um, it was either this one or Quig. Uh <laughs> Quig is great, and I do, but I don't really know what to say about Quig. And this one, I actually picked this one because it's uh, probably my least favorite of the season. But this is still a really good season, so that's not really that much of a, a diss. But right. I don't know. I just I've never liked this one as much for mainly for like I guess like execution of premise reasons and stuff, and a couple of a couple of issues I have with it. But yeah, that's that's why I chose. So you picked it because you don't care for it. Nice. That's 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 a really good reason, actually. I like that idea. Um, so Shana, let's uh, start with you a little bit, uh, since we kind of get the uh, Dom doesn't like this one. Um, what do you think? <laughs> I don't dislike it. I just yeah. yeah sure, sure. Oh no, no I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just I'm just shitting all over you, Dom. It's fine. You know. Um, oh. I think it, it's as, perfectly as, all right. As an American, you're welcome to just ignore everything he says. I won't answer any questions from now on. Then that's fair. That's fair. As an American, I feel like it's my right to completely shit on everyone who lives in a, a former, other former British Commonwealth. Well, I do live in Australia, so that's fair enough as well. Like, <laughs> all I know is that according to Tumblr, all of your man- animals want to kill you. Yes, and we also lock people up over uh, in detention camps. We're a nice country. Yeah. Those are the two most famous things we do, I think. I don't know. You have that building in the bay, and you had a Nemo. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we had a Nemo. Yeah, that's true as well, I guess. Half... Oh, God. 
I won't go off onto my the only thing I know about Australia I learned from Drag Queen's Tangent, because um, that's about the extent of it. Uh, <laughs> is that the yeah. RuPaul thing? Is it RuPaul? There Wait, was somebody this... on RuPaul from Australia. From Australia. Oh, okay. There's also yeah. The Adventures of uh... Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Yes, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love that movie. That's um, great. But that kind of has a vault. And The Rover from a couple of years ago. That was a great film from Australia. The Rover? Did I see that? <laughs> I don't know it. Oh, well, everybody should see that. It's basically Mad Max, but realistic. I should uh, know it. We've only got like five movies we've ever made. <laughs> uh, so Stasis Leak. Um, what was I going to say about Stasis Leak? I think that Stasis Leak is funny. Um, it's a little bit more of the straight up here's our idea and we're just going to play it for laughs kind of humor. Um, and instead of really tackling for me any super heady ideas, but that doesn't mean that I don't like it. Um, and we get to see um, Peterson again. And I love Peterson so much. Mark um, not just because, yeah, yeah, not just because he's also Mr. Weasley, and not just because he also isn't Doctor Who, but because I genuinely think it's a funny character, um, and that that's who he runs into. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. It's not my favorite. It's not my least favorite. It's it's kind of a good sandwich filler, I guess, episode for me. What's funny is this is kind of what the show's going to become. In a, in, a, yeah. in a couple of years. I mean, you know, the, the more kind of straightforward, we're just going to do a little sci-fi premise thing and we're going to throw jokes in. Um, this kind of becomes the model of the series. I mean, this one and then Future Echoes from Series 1 um, are probably the ones that, that point most clearly towards that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say when I was a, when I was like 13 or 14 and saw this, I really loved this. This was one of my favorites. Um, partly, mm. partly because... You get, I mean, this is the most Kachansky you ever really get in the yeah. series. <laughs> um, two lines. Uh, uh, yeah, she, she, and she gets to have the, um, I, will, I will also admit to uh, the, the bit when I was uh, 15, 16, my uh, Windows startup sound, uh, which was a thing back in the 90s, you, you would, you know, like if you were a nerd, you would set your uh, Windows startup sounds and everything to, to various wave files that you downloaded from yeah. this thing called the internet. And um, her saying, come in was my uh, window startup sound for uh, for oh my years. God. <laughs> Why? So I had I had a oh. I had I had oh, Claire Grogan uh, welcoming me to my computer uh, daily. Hmm. So um, I should tell you something about the nerdiness of my teenage years and uh, you know something so about... much. <laughs> Is that what Spike Jones made a movie about? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> that that's that's essentially the the psychosis I was suffering under. But um uh, no, I, I think this one, because it is the, uh, you know, I think I liked it because it is kind of the most sci-fi the show is going to be, um, at least in these first couple of years. It is kind of playing with these ideas, but it mm. also kind of looking at it now, I mean, we are kind of, I mean, the podcast is called Searching for Fushal, and it is about like this sort of quest for meaning. And this story doesn't have a lot of meaning so i don't know maybe this is it's it's good for us to just kind of like random bullshit in this episode because there's just not a lot here um but there are some things here and um partly it is i mean if we are going to be saying goodbye to kind of this conception of the show in a couple more episodes um mm. we are getting to say i mean we are getting peterson again this is the last time we see peterson this is arguably the last time we see kind of this version of kachansky um, at least for, for many years. Um, yeah. And this is kind of the last time we're going to see this version of the set, like the pre, 
uh, Disaster, Red Dwarf, and uh, lots of other things. Um, so it is kind of saying goodbye to this version of the show in a, in a certain way, um, because neither Quig nor Parallel Universe really kind of does what this is doing. And um, in that sense, it's it's kind of a... <laughs> It's kind of a fitting end, I think, because it is sort of funny and it is kind of interesting and it kind of does some some cute things and there are some great gags in this. Um, yeah. But I don't know, Dom. How do you how do you feel about like this kind of being the like the last time we see some of this? Uh, this is not really that related, but pre-disaster set they've still got that banana there, <laughs> which I guess <laughs> they they took down. And then they put up again. Anyway, uh, that's not important. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I just noticed that, and I, I thought that was funny. I like to think that's one of the um, that, that uh, history was changed by the stasis leak, right? <laughs> yeah. The stasis leak occurring, just you know, I don't know. Um, oh, I also like the fact. With I also like that they have the opening scenes in black and white, but like you wouldn't really be able to tell. It's such a gray show anyway. Like at this point, right? It sort of seems like black and white uh, <laughs> doesn't really change much but yeah um no it's funny what you say about the, the this feeling like a template for later seasons because i feel like maybe that's why i don't like it as much here because this is still a very like continuity heavy part of the show um i guess if it was like series three onwards when they've decided that the continuity is all over the place this kind of thing feels more you know oh we're going to go into a magic door to the past or like we're going to screw up some ikea furniture and now we've met jesus it's sort of like <laughs> um it sort of feels more acceptable in a way because it's more cheeky about it maybe. But this feels like it's so – it's still the very character-based part of the show. So it feels weird to me that they do an episode like this, I guess, because it's sort of not fulfilling the character promise in a lot of ways. Like they – I don't know. It's sort of all, – all of the things that they set up, I don't feel like they follow through with. And then there's that ending, which is just a, a very weird joke, which I'm not really sure about. Like Kachansky well, and- has like two lines. It's just I don't know. Well, I think that there's a lot of this episode, it, you know, to put too much of a point on it, it. It's very much a you know, be careful what you wish for. You could go back and change things, but really, you're just going to be stuck in a loop of trying to change things. You're never really going to change much. You're going to continue to fuck things up, and whatever was going to happen is going to happen anyway. Mm. Um. So, like, yay, time travel tropes. I feel like this entire episode is there so that we can give Lister the moment to see Kachansky and feel like he's going to see her again. Because otherwise, I feel like they didn't know what to do with the fact of this guy alone with a couple other guys for the rest of his life pining after this unrequited love. Mm. Um, and, and this lets them feel like that's resolved to some degree, even though, you know, the, the future that we see in this episode is a future we never see in future episodes, uh, which drives me a little crazy, but not too much <laughs> because that's not really the point of Red Dwarf yeah. as it continues, at least. All I've yeah. learned is that in five years, everyone grows facial hair, but not much facial hair. It's just, you know. <laughs> and cat the... disappears. Yeah, where's the future cat? I guess he just died. Anyway. I mean, cats do have shorter life expectancies. Oof, heavy. Right? Yeah. Or maybe he ran off with a chick. <laughs> I don't think and he really. I don't think he actually meets women. Really, they only they only no. just did an episode where he finally supposedly met a woman. Although, actually, I won't spoil it. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. No, I do know that. I mean, he has his line about. I guess this is what kind of lets me down, honestly, about the episode. Now that I'm thinking of it in these terms. 
is we have all this talk about sex and dating and relationships. Um, and none of it's very successful. None of it's very deep. It's all played for jokes and laughs. And we have lots of opportunities here for them to have really meaningful emotional moments, but yeah. they don't happen. And I don't know. It, it definitely feels like that is a statement of the episode of we are going to end on a laugh. We're going to end on a joke. We are going to end on this feeling like it could just keep looping around forever. Yeah. Well, and uh, going back uh, just briefly to something you were talking about uh, earlier, Dom, the uh, talking about like kind of this question of like Kachansky or Rimmer, we kind of already did this in balance of power, right? <laughs> Um, mm. We kind of already had this conversation. Only then it was about bringing a hologram back, and now it's like, well, who gets to come back in the yeah, season? Um, so it is. It's almost like recycling that idea. And there's also just this idea of like the stasis booth is large enough; you could fit them both in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know I don't, that. I, even even as like a 13 only, year old, I'm kind of going like, oh god, seriously. <laughs> is there only one stasis booth as well? And if if it is only one, is it the one that's leaking? Because surely you, you couldn't use it if it's leaking. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's logic that they don't deal with why I mean, why can they go back the to the past and not like, bring people back as well it, it doesn't make it makes no sense anyway. well because they turned to dust <laughs> but like, then why the can soap. they go back to the past anyway it's it's, yeah, it's the it's you know. the it's the magic door the magic door does yeah. what the magic door does um and in better episodes which there will be better episodes dealing with this later on you we would actually kind of like comment on the philosophy of that of like this sort of ethical conundrum maybe or yeah. would um use the magic door as an excuse to kind of talk about something or to reveal character mm. but here it just kind of i mean you get i guess i guess the most interesting thing for me i mean the thing that i could latch on to is this sort of sense of the memory of what these guys have lost like being able to walk back into this past before the accident three weeks before the accident it says uh, and kind of finding out that that past isn't what you remembered it to be, um, or isn't what you expect it to be. I mean, you know, kind of going back and feeling like, I mean, the moment where, I mean, it's a very funny moment. Hey, um, I, I definitely like to approach women with my name is Olaf Peterson. I'm very good in bed. Um, <laughs> that's my pickup line. Um, and I do say Olaf Peterson. Um, it's just sort of a thing. Um, <laughs> And it affects you. I've side. never seen you do this, but I totally want to now. <laughs> Holy wife! Anyways, continue. Uh, but that moment where uh, Lister kind of meets Peterson, and they definitely play it as a gay joke and a gay panic joke, which is not okay. But uh, there is this kind of sense that Lister is discovering Peterson, and he's missed Peterson. It's like, oh man, I'm very happy to get to see you again. And Peterson's like, dude, I saw you this morning. I don't know why. <laughs> You know, and so there is this kind of sense of, um, I mean, there there is a little bit of pathos there. I mean, it is yeah. kind of playing with that, but it, it it kind of doesn't doesn't really nail that home, um, in the way that it, it probably could. Um, Shana, how great, do you, or, sorry, go if you got, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that's a great scene. Although notice that like he he gets more of a conversation with Peterson and gets to kiss Peterson, but he doesn't really even talk to Kachansky. He just talks to himself. Right. right that that scene um, that scene is kind of i guess the big problem i have with the episode like he spends so long talking about kachansky and when then when, when they actually get there i think she just says come in and eventually i think that's it and then have, it's 
they have a back and forth about like, oh, but you will get to come back. Oh, that's right. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. She does have she does have a few lines there, and uh, Claire Grogan does it well. Like she plays up the character in those lines, but it's it's barely anything there, and it, to the point where in the last scene they can replace her, and it doesn't matter because she's not going to say anything. <laughs> right. I, you know, <laughs> true. I, I think for me, um, we get that moment with Peterson and. I will say that I think that we get a little bit more there, um, and I don't think it's quite gay panic. I mean, there is a little bit, but I think as much as it is for me as, you know, Olaf's trying to pick up a couple girls and Lister, who he just saw in his mind a couple hours ago or whatever, is coming up and being like, Peterson, I missed you. Give me a hug and a kiss. And he's just like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not going to get laid. Um, so I kind of liked the duality of that, just in in terms of Peterson is annoyed at his friend who he thinks is trying to p- cock block him. Uh, <laughs> and Well, I guess in that uh, through that lens, there's this idea that, you know, for Lister, this is I'm seeing my friend for the first time in years. This is something very meaningful to me. Whereas if you were just in your day to day, as Peterson is, you're much more concerned with the kind of like the 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 day to day existence of like I'm trying to get laid here, leave me alone. Um, and so, and, the, and I think that that that's kind of the theme of the episode. Ultimately, is that we have this: uh, to what lengths do you go for sex and procreation and survival of the species? Uh, the cat, even most of his dialogue is about like i don't know what a woman is or <laughs> what i want to do with her but whatever it is i want to do a whole lot of it uh-huh. uh in <laughs> i always loved that line when i was 13 oh of course you did because i think and <laughs> that's that's really what it is it's a very childish like point of view it's a very naive point of view of sex and sexual attraction um and it doesn't take into account romance, whereas in our other sub-stories, like, hey, he has a serious romantic friendship with Peterson. Um, we might not normally think of it that way, but in juxtaposition to the idea of, like, he goes back and sees Kachansky, and he's mainly upset that he's not the one who's getting married, um, because that involves him. You know, that would directly affect him. Uh, everything else that's going on he doesn't really connect with whereas we have the cat who can't help but react to everything around him because he's so present and you know fucking attacks a fox thinking it's a dog even though it is a dead piece of fur so i don't know there's a lot of what constitutes living in this episode uh i don't think that it's very well organized into a narrative but i i definitely think there's Mm. lots of thematic elements that we see kind of coming and going again dom your thoughts on that uh yeah (laughs) i agree i do like um uh well also i guess on the level of relationships though like it starts out as well with the diary entries um which reveals a lot about Lister and Rimmer, I guess, like Lister has spent all this time, I guess it's also creepy in a way, but he spent all this time reading Kachansky's diary, um, whereas Rimmer's approach to courtship is basically sexting. It's like, hello, um, how are you? I love your short skirts. Like Your short skirts make me really, really horny. Yeah, it's, you know, like... Which is at least honest. Like, I mean, you know, that, that's probably the most <laughs> honest thing we've heard from uh, Rimmer so far. Yeah, that's true. It's very straightforward. Mm. Uh, okay, so to sidestep my own conversation about sex, uh, the other thing that we really see them talk about is this really weird 
paradoxical loop of Rimmer eating something that Lister had switched out and then Rimmer thinking he hallucinates from this when actually it's himself from the future a couple times by the end, uh, which then ends up with Rimmer throwing paint on the captain. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really genuinely don't know what to do with that part of the plot, except for the fact that it is the only time we really see Rimmer and Lister getting along to any degree. Like they're, arguing yeah and Rimmer has a whole lot of issues with him but we do get these kind of little exchanges where you kind of get a feeling of what their day-to-day life was like and yeah they annoyed each other but um there definitely seems to be a little bit of I get a little bit of understanding the camaraderie of the two yeah despite the fact that they despise each other in so many ways (laughs) Lister apologizes to him a couple of times as well Mm. and I have that sort of this is something I guess that will be in series eight but in front of hollister they have that sort of thing where they'll be against each other but then when hollister acts authoritative to them they'll band together sort of thing mm. like they become partners in crime a little bit it's there's not, not that much of it here i guess but there's that sense that like since they're both so low on the, the social ladder in the right situation they will team up albeit like you know without wanting to They've got to band together and against the necessarily... authoritative evil of the Americans. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and they chickens. don't necessarily make the best team. Yeah, no. they Chickens definitely get hurt. <laughs> I like as well, like, Lister, um, within Lister's apologies, he, like, he's, it's very Listery. He's very um, genuine about apologizing, but his way of saying that he's a nice person is that you know, I'm a very decent person. Then Rimmer says, you know, where'd you get them from? And he says, I nicked them from Headbanger Harris. Like, Lister's, Lister's got a, like a heart of gold, but he's always that sort of slightly roguish, not like like criminal, I guess, but like light rule breaker or law breaker. Always come to him naturally. <laughs> he's a ne'er-do-well. I kind of like He's got that little punk anarchist thing going on. You know, yes. you kind of you kind of get that you kind of get that sense of him. You know that that he was always that kid who just sort of like has yeah. grown up but not really matured any. Um, and so like he thinks it's hilarious to give Rimmer a whole bunch of like mushrooms. Where I yeah. mean, you know, which is really like wouldn't it? Wouldn't you have more fun eating the mushrooms yourself if you were going to, like <laughs> steal them from yeah. someone named Headbanger Harris? I mean, you know, I I genuinely don't think that um any person i know that does drugs would willingly give them away to someone um so there is that but you pay for them, so maybe that's why if you pay for them you probably wouldn't have stuck to rimmers yeah it's True. almost like an 80s psa right you know like <laughs> <laughs> just say drugs. just say no to freaky fungus nancy reagan says reefer madness yeah um this is this is I mean it is a fairly interesting uh, sort of like dynamic the idea that I mean is this the only time we really see drug use in the series other than um I guess better than life kind of becomes that and you get some of it in the novels but uh and I can't remember another time that anyone takes any kind of like psychedelic drug or like enters any kind of psychedelic environment even in the series uh, I don't know about psychedelic but there is that alternate Crichton who like injects oh some, right right some substance. Yeah. Yeah, there's a drug addicted. Uh, uh, yes, addicted hey, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's but no, certainly that a really less count. pleasant. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, that's yeah, it's not very recreational. Yeah, yeah. This is this is kind of recreational use, but um, 
which I think is interesting that we kind of give it to Rimmer and it really just, um, it almost gives us just the intro to the narrative, right? Where the whole, I mean, it kind of becomes a, it becomes an Ouroboros problem because the reason that they go down to the, to deck whatever, 3000, whatever, um, to find the stasis leak is because he read the diary entry where the head comes through the table and therefore, so so it does kind of become this this closed loop uh, sort of idea, which only then makes it even more uh, maddening that there's absolutely no follow through on this down yeah. the line. <laughs> None whatsoever. I do like that they they um travel so far in Red Dwarf, like within the actual ship. Right. Like they actually have a scene dedicated to it takes a very long time to get from one floor to another. Right. I like mm. that. I really appreciate the. I mean, I. I have, am slowly discovering it's not slow at all. Um, I really love fake infomercials almost <laughs> as much as I love real infomercials um, and those little educational videos and stuff. Uh, for some reason, that specific genre of creating something speaks to me uh, in terms of world building a lot. And I really appreciate that the whole point of the little elevator talk is like nope there's no escape you will definitely die here's a way that you can die a little bit more quickly if you would like to feel some control over your life otherwise you know be seeing ya. uh that the fact that that is the setup that ultimately if something goes wrong you will plummet to your death just deal with it uh i don't know it puts the whole time traveling stasis leak thing in the interesting perspective yeah well and it's um, uh a, they're watching Gone with the Wind. Is part of the, that's the end lift movie. Oh god. Um, oh god. And Gone Terrible with choice. the Wind. Gone with the Wind has its own like deeply problematic context. Yeah. Of, like misremembering our history, <laughs> um, and kind of romanticizing the the worst parts of. I've always yeah. landed on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> oh wait, I did butterfly McQueen. <laughs> on, on, on the way up, the lift plays Birth of a Nation. So. <laughs> 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 the, the, the racial politics of the Jupiter Mining Corporation are, are really yes. fast. <laughs> yeah, and you got to think this is like, I mean, hypothetically, uh, you know, we canonically we are told it was 2077. That's the uh, date on the uh, the calendar when uh, they arrive in the past. So we're now, I mean, Gone with the Wind at that point is 140 <laughs> years old. Jesus, <laughs> I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. <laughs> That's that was the quote yeah this time around. Anyway, it could have been worse. Um, it could have been bingo. Oh. Anyway, it, uh, it could have been worse. It could have been the Saw movies. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I that's also one of those uh, things I, I really love. You, you get a sense of the the uh, just the sheer size, the magnitude of the yeah. Dwarf. You get a sense of um, how big the ship is and then also how lonely it is, right? Because we're going down 3,000 floors and it, there's only the three of us here, or, you know, four with Holly. But, I mean, you know, there really is, uh, you know, that's something that we don't, the scope of the ship itself is something that obviously we're kind of, the, the opening credits inform us of that. Mm. But we don't really do much with that within the text of the show, except kind of here and in a couple of the places. Um, the sense that the ship is that large, and yet they're—I <laughs> mean—they go down in the lift, and then presumably they go back later on after they've gone to the stasis leak. Because later on we see them having a conversation <laughs> in the in the bunk. So um, presumably, yeah. you know, that's just 
they're just gonna stay in their their little cozy cubby where they're where they're used to things you know even that shot of like Lister and the cat going to the stasis booth and they're doing like that little dance together mm-hmm. like the way that yeah. it's, it's shot it's shot from so far away that actually that gives the sense of scope as well and it also makes it like seem a bit sad i mean they're having fun but they're, they're so small in that corridor you know and i i think that there's something really interesting about the the fact that we are seeing kind of the historically bad relationship between lister and rimmer even if it is brotherly bad um and we're starting really to see a very positive relationship between Kat and Lister and just kind of uh getting to see Lister with Peterson um Lister's going after Chansky and, and Rimmer is always looking for himself you know in in one form or another which uh I don't know he, definitely a Rimmer thing yeah he goes for the sympathy vote actually in that scene with him and Lister arguing about who they're going to bring back. Like, there's that bit where Lister says, why mm. do you care if I leave? You don't even like me. And he says, you know, I will tell you something that will shock you. And then he says, I, you're right, I don't like you. But then he sort of trails off for some weird reason, and then he sort of stops. Like, if, I think he actually does like Lister. He just won't admit it. But then oh yeah, he immediately goes for the sympathy vote, like the whole, but you'll leave me by myself thing again. And, it's, and then claiming that that's selfish on Lister's part. He's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're gonna go and meet your lost love and live with her for three weeks, and that yeah. that, that love is worth it. Selfish. And then like you're what? selfish, you selfish bastard. How can you do that to me? Uh, why is it only three weeks? I'm not sure. I get that because why can't they just go somewhere else after they've married? They're they're oh. so like don't think about this. Like, like <laughs> clearly, clearly. I mean, as great as uh, as grant and Naylor are at making this show clearly this yeah. is the one where the storyline they, they just they 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 did not even try to spackle the whole plot <laughs> uh i mean you know you're i guess we're supposed to just go with it and just kind of go okay let's just assume that this is the way you know again future echoes kind of does this where there are just these kind of gaping holes and things where mm. You know, we're not really we're we're basically asked to like ignore the fact that there are gaping holes because we're going to deliver some idea or we're going to use this to kind of do something compelling and interesting. You know, okay. so I mean, thanks for the memory, which we covered just a couple of weeks ago, um, or last week, excuse, or last episode, excuse me. Uh, you know, has the kind of like blatant like so he transferred his entire memory for eight months into rumor's head and they yeah. didn't think about the fact that the casts are go- going to be dead giveaways to themselves and i mean you know clearly all of these kinds of like holes have, have been there throughout the show mm-hmm. it's just sort of we don't care because it's doing something else that's more interesting you know than like explaining it's, that sorry. oh no go it's ahead the, it's the first time they seem defensive about it as well like i know that that scene with cat you know so what is it is that, that's a funny scene, but it's also so, sort of defensive. Like, it's also sort of like, yes, we know it's a magic door, you know, go with oh, the yeah. audience. But they've, they've never felt the need to do that before. And I find that interesting. Yeah, it's I... it's kind of the first time we've done, like, Star Trek techno babble as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I Rima seems to know what he's talking about as well. <laughs> Unless he's just making stuff up, I guess. But God forbid. Um Rumor has one episode where he knows what's going on, and uh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> they, um, they didn't have Crichton around to give that dialogue to yet, so you know. he knows what's going on. So he goes and hides basically. on the table. That's his plan. Yeah, basically. 
<laughs> I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna hide at a table. When my past self shows up, I'm just going to appear and yeah, like that. It doesn't that's... work. And then like three hours later, he goes, "Oh, I've got another plan. I'll come out of the table again." Like, <laughs> and so I don't understand how he thought any of that was going to work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I well, I, like... I also am thinking like you know what would. Would either of you know what to say to yourself to get your past self to believe that you were your future self? Mm, no. Right? I guess you could say, like, I know secrets about you, but of course you'd know. Like, if it was a hallucination, they'd know that anyway. So, right? no, not really. I would definitely confront myself with the in three million years you'll be dead line. That would be, <laughs> yeah. you, know, that, you know, I'm just going to let you know I know something about your future. In three million years you'll be dead. Maybe maybe the opposite approach where you kind of say, yes, I'm a hallucination. This is all not real. Come with me, please. And you just kind of lead them to the stasis booth and you say, just go in there. This is just a dream. Don't worry about it. And then you've you've done it. Dom, you are so, so <laughs> trusting of your own hallucinations. That's really sweet of you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, I, you know. I, I didn't oh. even need to hide under a table to think of that one. So. Yeah. No mushrooms. No, no yeah. drugs. You're just going to say, all right, go with the hallucination. It'll work. Yeah. <laughs> end of the day it's better than what i got going yeah. uh, <laughs> uh what i think is interesting is that we have that same dynamic of lister finds trust by being with other people he forms trust through situations cat just kind of goes after his gut um and rimmer's whole trust is is supposedly based on who he is but every time every time there's more than one of rimmer in the room uh which <laughs> You know, because it happens quite often. Yeah. It, he doesn't trust himself. He doesn't like himself. Um, he challenges himself in ways that he finds very uncomfortable. So I, I think it's interesting because it, it definitely is becoming... I think at first it's a little bit more complicated, but one of the reasons I think it starts feeling a little bit um, over-rehearsed is that we're really getting a sitcom character out of Rimmer that is, you know, I'm better than my job, but I really hate everyone like me and, uh, you know, kind of whiny middle-aged public servant kind of worker. Mm. Um, and the more generic that Rimmer gets, the less I like him and the less <laughs> I'm as engaged. So like that makes sense to me. It's yeah, it's weirdly hard to feel sympathy for him in this episode. I'm not really sure why, but well, I mean, oh, he's, he's a, he knows he's, he's hallucinating. Yeah, I, he, I mean, he he's deliberately antagonistic towards the captain when the cat, you know, like. Oh yeah, I mean either version of Rimmer, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, even 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 future Rimmer, like I don't feel that bad for him. <laughs> yeah, no, episode. future 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 Rimmer is like kind of my favorite though, because yeah, he he's the one chill. that gets to yeah. he gets to describe everything and say, and then this is where it gets really complicated. <laughs> Uh, and that you know that's the joke it ends on, but uh, plus he's got the pervert stash, and that's really the the look that Rimmer should be for the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah, I wholeheartedly approve of Rimmer's um, porn stash, not so much of Lister's porn stash because it's creepy. <laughs> you mean that thing on his chin? That's what I'm talking about—the merkin on his face. Yeah, <sighs> he's much more confident too. Something's happened to Lister and Rimmer over those last five years something something pretty major they're very different people yeah i mean they're both much more laid back and both making some questionable decisions well it's the fact that they got rid of the cat and they just hang out together that's yeah they, they have they killed the cat. In the cat that's what they've done yeah, yeah. 
I am kind of interested in this because this kind of connects to, um, there's this, uh, probably one of the most memorable sequences, and don't worry, we're going to get to Kachansky. I, I do want to talk about this, but um, the second most interesting sequence, I think, is the uh, class consciousness bit, where um, yeah. Mr. decides that not only does he kind of look at the photo and go, well, clearly she married that smackhead and not me, and then yeah. immediately has this entire narrative in his head about how yeah. it's really because he's he drinks wine he gets wine on his cornflakes and that sort of thing not only that but don't you think that the five year the double double future uh lister and rimmer are coded as specifically more middle class than our kind of working class heroes yeah i could say that and so and so there's some uh there's some degree i mean particularly rimmer i mean you know he just kept the way he kind of stands there he's got this diction and and uh i mean you only get a couple lines from it but um, but you know, Lister is, I mean, they're going into this honeymoon suite suite and, you know, I mean, this is a very, uh, I mean, this feels like this very kind of like happy middle-class version of Listery. Um, maybe they're wearing that stuff just to annoy their past selves though. Like <laughs> fu- future Lister really seems to enjoy getting on young Lister's, uh, goat. So oh yeah, maybe, maybe he normally dresses in the exact same way, but it's just for this one scene. That would actually be awesome. I really like how manipulative future Lister is in yeah. version. Yeah. Um, he's complete shit to himself. Like yeah. in a couple of years time, we're going to go back in time. We're going to, and then don't go see, what was it? Run for your wife? Run for your wife. Yeah. Uh, which I, I looked up today and apparently there was a, uh, film adaptation of that play in 2012 and it currently has a zero percent rating on the tomato <laughs> so uh, apparently i kind of want to see it though <laughs> just for the uh, red dwarf reference but uh yeah yeah I, apparently the play is about a bigamist who is found out after oh. he uh gets hit in the head so that feels like it might be some sort of reference i mean it ran for like nine years um on the west end i think um, don't quote okay. me on that. I was just reading Wikipedia 20 minutes before we started recording. So my apologies. Um, so yeah, the, the, that, that might be kind of a reference to, you know, like, you know, Kachansky being married to two versions of Lister or something. I don't know. It feels half baked, but, um, there might be some light reference there. Um, but class consciousness, is there, is there anything there or am I just kind of like missing it? No, it's, it's there. He's the fact that he starts whining about wine in particular is like, is very telling. Like he fixates on wine heaps. There's even a, there's a later episode where he does that again, actually. He considers drinking wine some sort of, uh, <laughs> betrayal of his working class roots. <laughs> Well, and there's, he doesn't just say drinking wine. He's like, I bet they're not even going to have beer. This is going to be wine everywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and cornflakes. And, yeah, yeah it, it very much does make, and I mean, this might be a time period difference, I, that wine is a little bit more accessible now, maybe. But um, there's a lot in that scene, I think, that is played toward, Lister can't even be happy for himself. Right? Like, he knows that this is a future him now, and he's still kind of upset about the whole situation. Um, Kat is is happy just for having, you know, seen a woman for the first time. Well, seen really anyone other than the other people we already know. Um, and so you kind of... I, I, I think that this is an interesting episode as far as, like, character studies go. Hmm. We we get to see a lot of sides of their personalities in these slightly different situations and kind of pushing themselves. But there's also a little bit that feels a little bit off to me the whole time. Um, 
And that might be my own perception of the characters versus kind of how the show sees the characters yeah. and where it's taking them after this. Uh, I, but like, you know, I, I also have issues with, I, I like this actress. I prefer this version of Kachansky. And I, even though she doesn't get to talk much, um, she makes fun of Lister. She yeah. has a good sense of humor. Um, she's in on the joke. She's not the butt of a joke. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. Right. So I don't know. It's it's difficult for me to talk about this episode because it has things that I, I like, but there's a whole lot that just kind of, there's not a lot to hold on to, to really sink your teeth into and look at, um, even though there's a lot of fun moments. Well, there's a lot that's, I mean, it feels kind of off book for the characters, right? Because Lister has never really had a deep like regret about his class before. It's it's Rimmer who was complaining about Todd Hunter and the uh, the breasts filled with gazpacho soup, for instance. You know, um, and which is kind of the same joke as you know, like wine under the cornflakes, right? I mean, it's the same. I mean, it's, same, mm-hmm. it's essentially the same concept. Um, and whereas you know, we're kind of talking about Rimmer is kind of now um, being kind of a, a little bit friendlier and a little bit um, goofier, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's almost like we're we're seeing these characters written as the as each other to, to some degree. Mm. Um, so I think that's kind of what makes it maybe not stick out as much is, you know, the characters are not quite behaving the way we expect them to um, as fans of the show. They're, 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 they're just ever so slightly tweaked wrong. Um, and then that goes into their motivations because, you know, the whole thing that motivates the, the final kind of act of the show is Lister's a kind of sense of, uh, you know, is this kind of class consciousness and is this sort of like fear of being uh, left behind or, or uh, you know, um, <laughs> I can't get with girls because I I don't drink wine is is not something we we usually associate with Lister, and yet it kind of justifies the final like five or six minutes of the show, which is not the justification we really want. I. I do like his um, feeling self-conscious about his class. It's just that he leaps to it so quickly in terms of Kachansky, like immediately decides that she has that kind of thing. And I just feel like if he if he associated people's class that much with their personality, that he wouldn't really even try talking to her in the first place. He would have right. immediately assumed that she was like too, quote unquote, snooty or something. It seems like it's it's such a, a big thing to suddenly just come out of him. It feels right. like very... And deep-seated and just very sudden, yeah. Kachansky never seems to be that, like, coded yeah. as that class in the first place. I mean, certainly in um, The End, which is, I mean, at the other time we actually see her with lines, right? Um, you know, yeah. she, she's kind of, uh, you know, I don't get from the accent or from the, the, the behavior of this, like, that she's this snooty person. Um, you know, that's that's what they retcon into the character later on. So maybe mm. that's already in their heads and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, the future version of Kachansky is stasis leaking back in the stasis leaks. Yes. She, she, she's officer class, but she doesn't seem privileged or like she doesn't come across as privileged at all. Yeah. Right. Um, which, uh, also kind of, I mean, I guess the, uh, the first novel was, was published around this time and they kind of rewrite some of the backstory again there, but we will get to that in a few weeks. <laughs> so, um, Having said that, I do like that they undercut Lister's um, self-pitying immediately. Yes. That's a good choice to make if you're going to drag that out of him to immediately prove that he was wrong. Mm. Right, right. That that she really wasn't. I mean, that he – I mean, I kind of just get that. Maybe he's just feeling uh, momentarily – 
just <laughs> dealing with this kind of momentary anxiety or momentary stress or momentary, mm. you know, like, like it's, it's just kind of a, a, a blip in his mind and we're just kind of watching it. It's just kind of, uh, I don't know. That could make sense. I mean, and, and I think Charles sells it. I don't, I, I you know, the performances yes. are, are, are very good or uh, all the way around in this episode. I don't think anybody's, uh, I mean, everybody's on their game. Um, and particularly, I think Craig Charles sells the, the sequence very well. Um, I think that it's on the writing end where it, it, it just needed a couple of more passes to really kind of give us that, um, to kind of make it feel a little more earned. Um, but you're right. You definitely put your finger on it down where I mean, he, he, he switches it on and off like a light bulb. You know? mm. It might not even be the class stuff actually that's the issue. It might be the line where he just says, why do women leave me for snakeheads? Which is like, <laughs> especially is, now. It feels like, like a rimmer line, right? Lines. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a... <laughs> he, he He's one step away from becoming a MGTOW, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts, Shannon? Uh, on what part? Uh, I don't know. I think that it's it. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to end up repeating stuff I've already said. I'm kind of walking in circles in thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. Yes, yes, I'm in a stasis league. Well, let's just uh, move on and uh, talk about uh, Kachansky, if that's okay. Kind of, uh, this is this is our. I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, and I'll mention it again at the end, and we'll we'll kind of get into the the gender politics here a bit. Um. This is this is our goodbye to Kachansky, and I think it's it's a good one um, in the sense of she gets a few lines, and uh, Claire Grogan is very uh, lovely in the role, and I you know I love getting to see her again. Um, I love yeah. her in that hat. Um, she's great in that hat. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's particularly uh, looking at this from a 2016 perspective. Wow, you got four lines in this, and um, yeah, when it, you know. I don't know. What do we what do we think about Kachansky and this really this version of Kachansky? What do we think of this version of Kachansky having seen basically all of it at this point? I know there's one scene later on, but that's not really her. So we're not yeah. going to count that. And that's like three or four years from now. <laughs> Shana, what are you uh, final thoughts yeah. about Kachansky or any thoughts about Kachansky, Kachansky in this episode? I, I, I mean, I prefer this Kachansky. I feel like even though we don't see a lot of her. Um, I don't remember actresses' names. Um, this is Claire Grogan, and act- the future version is Chloe. Thank you. Claire Grogan seems to be able to walk on screen as Kochansky, um, and I just believe her. I just kind of go with her. Um, she, she definitely is able to embody a certain kind of energy. Mm. And I, I like that about this Kachansky because that's the kind of Kachansky that would actually make someone like Lister shy enough to not really be able to ask her out. You know, somebody who is smart and clever and even if she is married to him in the other room is still okay with pulling him in unawares and, and giving him a hard time. So I, I like that there is that much of a dynamic to her when she comes back. It's a very different character for me. Um, I mean, it's, it's a different actress, so it's bound to be, um, but you know, we never really see much of this Kachansky either. And, and that's probably the biggest negative you can have, right? She's mm. a great, she's a really interesting character. We get hints of it and then we don't ever really get to see it. So the fact that this is her send off is, I would say bittersweet, but it's more like expected at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny because they were going to bring her into it, like in the first season as an actual cast member, 
Well, no, not in the first season. The whole like I don't know if you guys are, you guys are aware of this or yeah, I I'd, I'd read a bit a bit of that, but um, go ahead. Yeah, um, instead of the two rimmers as a hologram, <laughs> her hologram was going to be brought back for series two, and I don't know what they would have done with it because it, I don't I like her, but I don't have the confidence that they would have been able to flesh her out properly. Because I guess in I guess in a way like she's she's kind of like the cat in a way in that like she's sort of one note written but the performance is like exceptional so it really carries it that's not a diss to the cat i'm just saying that's like that's the level of writing you know the cat very often becomes the just just kind of a joke machine like you you, we kind of have some serious material we get into you know like rumors abusive past and then like cut to the cat doing a a joke about a a spoon you know or something um so you know there there's we, we kind of use the cat for that um I suspect that if they brought Kachansky in, they would have kind of had to give her something to do. I'm afraid that it would not have been written as well as as we would have liked, just because, I mean, there are a couple of guys who clearly just are not Mm. quite comfortable writing for women. Um, In fact, I mean, you know, the the whole reason that uh, a lot of episodes, you know, the the reason that Future Echoes never pays off in the series is because the uh, episode um, Dad, uh, which... uh, never got made just because like they were writing it and realized oh this is super sexist (laughs) you know um yeah and so uh when we get to parallel universe which you know is only in a couple of episodes uh you know the the gender politics is going to become very clear um but i think here i I mean you, you almost can't blame them for for kind of saying you know what we just don't know how to write women let's not do it badly I mean, there there is this sort of justification there, although it does end up with and now, and now they're all in, you know. No! No, it's not a justification. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it, like, I, I, I think, don't know how to write black characters. I'm just going to have all white people. I'm not saying it is it is an actual justification. I guess I'm saying that I almost would prefer to have Red Dwarf with no women than with really sexistly written women. Well... Dude. <laughs> I mean, they have a multiracial cast, but they basically never bring up race. They just needed to do the same thing, really. Right. Kachansky. They just needed to not really address the fact that she was a woman. Sex and, like, dick size. There are a surprising number of dick jokes in this episode. <laughs> For a show that, like, this is also, I mean, we see man-ass. That's yeah. Yeah, I, really I actually literally have a note that says man-ass and a red dwarf. I think this is our one look at Man Ass and Red Dwarf. Is that right? Uh, this is very a spearhead in space moment, right? <laughs> Sam Seeley's bum. Um, but I mean, we don't really. No, we see bums. Uh, Rimmer, li- sorry. <laughs> oh, right. What is it to interject with? Yes, yes. Rimmer and Lister completely. Bum check. At some point, yeah. Well, you see Manass, and you get the reference to Felicity Kendall's bum. So you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of sex in that. I mean, there's just a lot of like very juvenile sex in this as well. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Which is. I didn't say any of it was mature. <laughs> which is not. Uh, there's. I mean, it's. I don't know. Literally a dick joke about a, uh, the stranger in the shower and the cat who doesn't know how to have sex or why he wants it <laughs> or to identify that that's what he wants makes a joke to the guy in the shower that he has a small penis by like, well, oh, your personality's good? Or was that actually Lister that gets to make that joke? No, it's the cat, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of kind of bizarre humor. Mm. I when 
with the cat. For me, I almost don't watch this episode looking for narrative. I watch this episode and think, okay, they wanted to do something that is amusing. And so they're just going to have our characters in a funny situation and we're going to watch them and they're going to make jokes and they're going to be funny and we will enjoy it. Um, It just doesn't feel like it tries even to go much beyond that. I'm not sure the cat would even have a frame of reference for human penis size. Like he's, he's got six nipples. Why would he... Six nipples? We don't even know if, like, I mean, I assume he has a penis of some kind. Yeah, but... (laughs) Yeah, and I don't really want to know more about the cat's penis, but still, like... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, not necessarily, no. Um, so, so maybe we don't know anything about the, uh, the guy in the shower. We don't really know anything. All we know is what the cat believes about the guy in the shower. So, you know, maybe, maybe we're getting this like cross-cultural commentary. It's like Star Trek, yeah. but with, but with juvenile dick jokes. Then again, I mean, if we're going based on our information on Craig Charles and cat only has Craig Charles as a reference point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The 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 dick was so large it wrapped around on itself and created its own stasis leak. So he's never seen ribs. And penis stasis leak just does not sound enjoyable whatsoever. <laughs> and we have the title of this episode. Damn it. <laughs> oh um next week on Searching for Fushal, Shayna doesn't say a word. <laughs> Uh, for fear that it will all become the title. Do we have any um, favorite jokes or any any other kind of thoughts that I, anything I haven't brought up from this? Uh, I mean, we kind of covered it fairly well. I mean, there's just not a lot here, so I've kind of mm. gone through with with uh, you know my notes and just kind of like brought up stuff that seemed very vaguely interesting. But um, yeah, there's just not a lot of connective tissue um, to really dig into here. But um, any, any favorite jokes that we want to just uh, throw out there that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, I like Rimmer's pet lemming story. <laughs> I built him a wall. Especially, yes. especially the fact that his takeaway from killing his lemming is completely ruined my helicopter wallpaper. Like that's the thing that seems to bother him the most about having to murder his own pet. Yeah, and the fact that he had helicopter wallpaper, which, yeah. uh, you know, again, connects you to Child Rimmer. I mean, w- when I envision that, I think, like, cartoons, like, kind of, uh, you know, like, cartoon helicopters. But it can also be, like, this military helicopter idea, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, which connects to, you know, what we know about Rimmer's history. So this could these could be, <laughs> they could be, like, um, choppers in Vietnam, like he's literally kept <laughs> <laughs> the helicopter wallpaper is like you know dropping agent orange on the enemy's villages yeah i just Someone took that to another place scary. <laughs> i mean he does have a pet lemming for a reason <laughs> oh god uh, how about how about I'm searching for a show <laughs> how about how about lister and Sorry. the uh the his friend duncan when he was 10 and the uh putting uh, mirrors yes. on shoes with a girl's skirts that's the kind of joke we need more of in, in Red Dwarf. Yeah. I noticed that Duncan is never mentioned again. Like, Lister's childhood is not something that actually gets mentioned much. In fact, I think it changes. He, he originally has a grandma, and then he's, like, an orphan. Whereas Rimmer's childhood is mentioned a lot. And you even get, like, Porky Roebuck, Rimmer's friend, who's mentioned quite well, a few times. Well, he, he gets... Lister has his grandmother, and then his only picture of his father is a dog. Yeah. But later he and, doesn't have a father-ish. Uh, right. So I, I think that there's, I think that there, we have accepted that there's a fair amount of mytho- self-mythologizing for both Lister 
and Rimmer, mm-hmm. except Lister's self-mythologizing has to do with more of an erasing of his personal history, whereas Rimmer really just fucking fixates holds them. onto every little, yeah, <laughs> fixates every nook and cranny gone wrong. Um, yeah, I suppose the first time Lister actually says about being, this is jumping ahead, sorry, but the first time he ever says he's an orphan is he's completely drunk at the time in a party situation. So maybe everything else he said up until that point is actually a, a lie. It, it's either a lie or a half-truth. Yeah. Um, we have this kind of narrative convention that, like, uh, sci-fi fantasy heroes are sort of perpetual adolescents, right? Where they don't have children, yeah. they don't mm-hmm. really have parents, they're just, you know, Indiana Jones, I mean, Indiana Jones is a bad example because he gets a father <laughs> in the third movie, but, I mean, you, you know... And his, and his son, well, eventually. That movie oh, wait, no, there's so... no, that's, that's not a yeah, sorry. <laughs> That I mean, they sort of have romantic partners, but you never get a sense of like who they were. You know, you don't get a sense of uh, you know this sort of uh, who Han Solo was a, as a kid or something. You know, it's it's unless it's like really terrible. Um, well, Indy as a kid is basically just this is how he's going to be. Right. It's 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 not even an origin story. It's basically he's he did this whole thing his entire life. I yeah, guess. I was 12 years old. I was a Cub Scout, and then I was already doing this, and that's the... When I was young, I decided to steal artifacts from other cultures. <laughs> I decided to be... It's true. Yeah. Yes, but when he was young, he was also River Phoenix, and he could get away with a lot more. <laughs> I like to imagine, yeah. like, the beginning of Goodfellas, you know, where... Yeah, uh, where he says, you know, all my life I wanted to be a gangster because I like to think of uh, that being all my life I wanted to be a colonialist. <laughs> oh, random Indiana Jones uh, joke here, but um, you know, th- there is the sense in which you know, given that we kind of accept that the show is is increasingly going to be uh, uh, pointed at thirteen year old boys. Thirteen uh, year old boys are are. I mean, this you know, none of this ever bothered me as a kid, and I think that's why I really like this one because it's kind of funny and there's a lot of sex in it. That was like cool for me at thirteen. It was nice to like you know to see like Peterson you know have his line and um, seeing Kachansky being adorable and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, usually like the show I, is able to be deeper than this, and it's just not. Here. Yes, sorry, go ahead. When, when I said that I I started out watching those series seven and eight episodes, like series eight is full of that stuff, and it definitely didn't bother me as a kid. And now I'm like, Ugh, like, <laughs> no, thank you. But yeah, they they never. They always have that sort of laddishness, which is maybe probably the biggest problem with Dwarf, I guess. I, I think it's it's both the biggest problem and the best thing about it, right? True. It's it's like it's when when it's directed against each other, it's really endearing and fun. But whenever they meet other people, <laughs> it can be really uncomfortable, I think is how it works. It, it tends to, I think. Um but, and there are some episodes where I think they really embrace the fact that this is a dude show. It's about a bunch of dudes. Um, mm. And you can make fun of that and you can explore a lot of ground with that. Um, there are some episodes that I feel that that's not a huge detractor. Um, but in something like this, where we have a scene with three listers and three rimmers and one cat in a room, and I guess ostensibly a few Hollies, depending on how many of them are wearing watches and whether or not Holly is in the wall, etc. Um, and zero Kachanskis, because Claire Krogan is It's care. a fucking... Yeah, yeah. right? It, it's a room full of dudes. Um, you can either play that to your, to your benefit, so that when you have them all getting ready to fucking walking on and seeing Crichton with um, skeletons, it's really funny. 
Um, or you can have this episode where they're skipping around in time all for the sake of trying to save their own ass or trying to marry this trying girl to get some that ass. <laughs> just yeah. parallelized. So, trying to save your own ass or get your or get some ass. Yes, they get some in the shower. Yes. And none of them are appreciative of that yeah. ass. Which they should be, because it was a it's a decent man ass, from what I saw. <laughs> I remember being shocked by the fact that they did that when I was like thirteen and something. It's like oh holy shit, God, that's ass on my television. Like this is airing on PBS. That's great. Um, it was the original take was a uh, another actor who was a lot older, so you might have even been more shocked by it oh. seeing a wrinkly bum. Yeah, that's true. How, that how, old people don't have naked bums. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't it just shouldn't happen all right um i think i think that's a good place to end i think uh, i was actually gonna say two more things oh yeah, yeah please go ahead <laughs> we can jump in no, 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 no. they're just tiny just tiny notes um i do like the suitcase being tony hawks i know like they always use him and i always like that because he's he's all the vending machines and he's everything yeah tony hawks and i like I don't know. It just seems like a nice detail that is he even is though he it's Talkie just Toaster as well. Uh, no. Okay. No, no, no. That's um, Talkie Toaster is David Ross. Okay. Who was the wait? No. Right. No, 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 no. That's not sorry. No, the original guy is called John Lenahan, I think. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. But it's not Tony Hawk. You can tell Tony Hawk's because he has that voice that's sort of nasally. Oh, okay. Um, he comes back and plays Caligula in a later episode. <laughs> He's also in Better Than Life. He's the uh, host. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay, the host. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just like the idea that, even though they did it just for low budget reasons, I guess, because he was warming up for them on the show, but I like the idea that in the future, <laughs> all the companies, or maybe JMC has loads of stuff, and they, they all decided that was the voice they wanted for, for everything. It's it's just this slightly nasally, uh, slightly irritating voice. It's a funny voice. Well, there's this there's this one <laughs> there's this one actor who was just like basically became the test pattern for all artificial intelligence. Yeah. That's sort of the lesson we've learned, right? For for like this low end cheap artificial intelligence because we've got like the high end computers like Holly and the others, but then uh, if it's if it's just like a little chip somewhere, there's basically like one voice synth software. And it's always so Tony basically. Hawks. <laughs> so basically, Tony Hawk's he's he's the recalculating on all the GPSs of, of this yeah. future. Yeah, but they don't. That's interesting though, because they don't choose um very kind of RP posh voices. You know, they don't have like Tom Baker or something, which they do in Britain. I think they have him for some phone service. I don't know, but you know, they're that's... very very well spoken. Whereas Holly and Tony Hawk's are not at well all the vending machines. They've all got like you know very very normal voices. Is how I'll put and, that. And, and you know, it's it's another working class. Thing, yeah, I think. exactly. It, yeah. You know, everybody has to have some kind of um, representation on that scale, the, the class scale. Basically, they focus grouped it, and they decided that. Uh, I mean, there there basically there was there was a a marketing firm that was paid like millions of dollars to determine that uh, ordinary <laughs> people were. Um, most likely to use products that sounded like this you know <laughs> so so like that's how they marketed it to uh because these are all working class schlubs you know we don't get like the uh like like a trump tower in this in this future <laughs> you know like some uh you I, know, the, the lady is wearing hat. a fox yeah but that's kind of like that that's you know that hotel looks a little beat up to me like that that that, that is not like to a, be like fair a, though like in the future i can't imagine how rare fox her would be anyway i'm going off on a complete tangent <laughs> just ignore shana uh, i'm i'm going to, to uh ha, soup so, sip uh 
going to sip some of my mango juice that Daniel brought home for me. You can't, you can't record right. such Which a show without mango juice. So. Right. I had to mention it. Uh, the only other thing I was going to say was like paint Judy, which is um, going out onto the ship and painting. So I guess yeah. that opening title sequence, as well as being like a representation of this tiny man on this big scale and all that kind of stuff, it's also a lister in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, <laughs> that's... I think that's actually canonical. Him. I think that's actually uh, yeah, the, like the uh, one of the. I think it was either was it Grant or Naylor who actually confirmed that yeah, that's Lister on on painting duty. Yeah, while like for this, I think was even the the established bit. Like, oh, okay, that's, the, yeah. we're literally seeing him on his punishment detail for. <laughs> he spends two weeks on punishment detail for this, and then it gets frozen in time. For Frankenstein, <laughs> with a day's despair. Yeah, it's worse to bring a cat on board than to drag a fellow um, technician. It is just Rimmer, though, so I guess they don't really care. I, Fair enough. He drugs Rimmer and gets two weeks, and yeah. Rimmer just like says some shitty things to the captain and gets eight. Yeah. So that 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 describes the difference in status there between Rimmer yes. and the captain. Yeah, and, like slightly insulting the captain's mother gets you eight weeks whereas like <laughs> actually sending a man to the infirmary gets two yeah yeah there's definitely i that that was in my notes but i, I wasn't sure if i had anywhere to go with that and apparently i didn't so it was fine <laughs> uh final thought shana anything uh, anything we've missed no okay i mi- i missed the scudders i don't know why there weren't scudders in this episode i'll say that yeah you don't even see them in the past do you that's weird yeah, there there should be like a whole bunch of them in the past, hypothetically. Mm. You know, when the when the ship is uh, fully stocked, I guess. Although I don't know, like I kind of get the sense that the scudders just sort of follow around the hologram because they're just they're meant for that. And so I guess George McIntyre has the uh, has the scudders somewhere. Maybe they're sort of like house elves as well, where they're not really supposed to be seen. There's some sort of like nasty they're the help kind of thing going on so the whole reason you see and so in the future, future that's why they're yeah because this doesn't flipping care. everyone off yeah <laughs> we do learn that they have a better union than the uh, technician <laughs> oh that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> the only people that Lister and Rimmer outrank are the laboratory mice. We're just going to tell jokes from a better episode. That's just going to be... <laughs> That's the lesson of Stasis. Like, man, I loved this one as a kid, but there's just nothing to it. Um, I wonder if those mice became a, a humanoid species. I like to think that the cats found them and ate them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That was why the cats evolved, was to get at the, the mice. <laughs> the mice, the mouse yeah. civilization. That yeah, that makes sense, cats. actually, to reach up yep. or something. Yeah. I guess I could jump in there. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dom, for being on the show. Uh, please That's come okay. back again, and we will pick a better episode to talk about next time. <laughs> well, I'll pick it, so I'll pick all the bad ones. That'd be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, please come back for Crydy TV one day. I would be loved. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might have been the very first episode I saw. So, wow. In terms of ones, in terms of ones that I've flipped around a lot on that's the one i guess <laughs> well the the one thing about the one thing i will say about seeing credit tv is your first one there's only up to go yeah, yeah. Give it up, you know then uh credit tv so <laughs> anyway thank you so much dom for coming on um uh, do you have anywhere that people should find you on the internet if they want to uh come in are you on twitter they can find me on the deep web also um no i i do have a i have a doctor who 
blog sort of that I occasionally update. I'm not doing it at the moment though, so it's a, I occasionally take hiatuses, I guess. But um, it's who m8 as in mate dot blogspot dot com. And it's basically like I originally I was just marathoning through the classic series with stuff on the side. That kind of got a bit restrictive, so I'm doing anything I feel like now. <laughs> we don't. But, Yay! Yeah. So you know that's great. Yeah. So go check that out, and I will go check that out myself. And um, thanks so much for coming on. Um, it's that's it's right. been a lot of fun. Thanks for having. Me. Yeah. Um. All right. That's it. And uh, until next time, the drive plate is closed.
before I will get you up.